Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host, Stephen Buja, and yes, this is not a dream. This is really happening with my co-host, Miss Amy Thomason. Amy, how are you doing this fine week? End of October, we come to it at last. Uh, very good and not impregnated by the devil's baby. That's always a good thing. You know, that's that's always a positive. You know what? That is literally something I never have to worry about. And I understand that while probably very rare, you know, does happen occasionally to, uh, to all of you. So uh, I'm glad to hear that you were doing well. Doing well. I have enjoyed these, uh, conversations about, uh, horror movies and our should have been should have been a contender series this past month, and I am very yes. much looking forward to talking about today's final Halloween should have been a contender, Rosemary's Baby, from 1968, directed by Roman Polanski, written by Roman Polanski, based on the novel by Ira Levin, starring the one and only Mia Farrow, John Cassavetes, Ruth Gordon, and Sidney Blackmer. 50 years now, still talking about this film. What is your personal history with this movie? I know you have a you have a you have a spot for Mia Farrow. She's like your you know, she's, she's your girl, I right? I really do. I really do. I think it's sad that often it seems like when people think of great actresses, her name doesn't seem to come up, probably because she hasn't won an Academy Award or anything like that. But I think she's very underrated. And she's in two of two movies on the Amy Thomason Top 100. This and Hannah and Her Sisters, which is one of my top 10, which is the only group that's definitely rated. My top 10 is definitely my top 10. Okay. And she's just wonderful and nuanced in all of them. Indeed, indeed. History with Rosemary's Baby. When did you first see it? Have you in, have you read the book? I'm curious. Uh, it's like if you have. It's like I have. Good? I have. Of course. You I have. listened to it on audio in the spring. I listened to it on the car ride up when I have spring break in South Carolina. I go up to New York and see my family, and I listened to it. And even better, it was narrated by Mia Farrow. Ooh. So, it's a very good adaptation there's really nothing i can think of that they didn't put in there i mean polanski and the screenplay really captured everything that's important there might be little teeny differences here and there but it's an incredible book it's a very easy fast-paced book which i liked that's the book what about the movie when did you first see the movie younger older i don't remember i was probably older i'd say possibly high school slash college which of course in my mind was last week and in reality not it was actually longer ago i still think the 90s were last decade so i'm with yeah, you there you know what i mean like i was just like you know kids today and i'm like oh that's right i'm in my late 30s yeah. so this is one of the few movies that legitimately scares me there are movies that I can sit through, and it'll give me a couple jump scares, but then as soon as I leave, it's done. Like, mm-hmm. The Conjuring, when I saw it, gave me a couple little thrills, but after the movie was done, I was like, that's it. I don't need to see it again, because it's not going to provide those thrills. 
this movie is intrinsically terrifying. This movie, Fatal Attraction is another one. Like I've had actual nightmares about this movie and it's because it's more that there's no visual scares at all. There's no jump scares. It's all her mind is being screwed with by every single person that she trusts. That is truly to my core, the most terrifying thing, especially while you're, especially while and before you're pregnant. So this is my number one. And I'm sure a lot of people could watch it and not find it quote unquote scary, but this, the whole idea behind it, people plotting against you and not being able to trust anyone is deeply, deeply frightening. Now would probably be a bad time to tell you that you're not actually on a podcast at all. <laughs> all of this has been a farce. It's it's so awful, and you just want to hug her, and we'll get into that. But but, but this is but this is it for me. This terrifying, terrifying. And I had a friend who read the book and watched the movie when she was pregnant. What? Why would? You why do would that? you do that? What? Why, why would you? Do why that? would you do any of that? I, it's just a refund thing. All right, which. <laughs> Hey, whatever whatever works for your friends. But book, You're like very strange said, friends, you know that? Yes, I, I I have colorful, eccentric friends. I'm the normal one in my group of friends. Just really? Now. Okay, well, that's <laughs> terrifying, I think. Uh, I have uh, limited experience with this. I saw this movie when I was younger, and as a young dude, like, you go, what, what is, why do people... What is it about this movie? Like, okay, yeah, they talk about they talk about Satan at the end. We don't even see the baby. Like, I want to see a devil baby. Felt you're of, used to scary, scary. Yeah, I, well, I'm used to the tr what they define blood, as traditional blood. horror. Like, you know, scary. There's blood. There's like, like we're gonna see the demon. She's gonna be chased and whatever. You know, the, the classic slasher films from the seventies. Nothing for me. Yeah, and uh, the, and this one did nothing for me when I was younger, but watching it now. And this is where age and experience come through. And having a wife who has been through pregnancy, you go, "This is terrifying. This is it's so it's more than it's more than scary. It's just unsettling. It's unnerving because, like, if you took out the last scene, you still have a very, very effective just like creep factor. You're like, "This is fucked up. I don't want to. I don't want to be here. Please stop." It's uh, it's it, it works on, um. There is the the satanic element, but it works on such a, a more basic human level that really uh, drives it home. And also, as a woman and having been pregnant twice, that feeling of they're going to hurt my baby, and I have to do whatever it takes to protect this child—that desperate need to protect your your baby at all costs right. from every single person that you know—and Sparrow sells it, man. She does. She's her reactions. Uh, her reactions are what make that movie terrifying. Her looking at the baby at the end. Oh, we'll get into that. But yes, it's uh, yeah. We will. We'll get into all of them because I have a couple scenes where I was like, it. Her her saying certain lines is the scariest thing ever, and like I said, it gets you right in my guts, right mm -hmm, in my soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would. Th I mean, it's she's great in this. And she's so great. She's in all of it. And you go, well, yeah, of course she was nominated for an Academy Award for this, right? 
right? And we will talk about that after this short break. So stick around. The next award is for the best performance by an actress in a supporting role. For Rachel Rachel, Estelle Parsons. For The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, Sandra Locke. For Funny Girl, Kay Medford. For Rosemary's Baby, Ruth Gordon. For Faces, Lynn Carlin. The winner is Ruth Gordon and Rosemary's Baby. how encouraging a thing like this is. <laughs> the, the first film that I was ever in was in 1915, and here we are, and it's 1969. Actually, I don't know why it took me so long, though I don't think, you know, that I'm backward. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Bill, thank you, Bob. Thank you, Roman, and thank you, Mia. And thank all of you who voted for me, and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. We've talked at length about the 41st Annual Academy Awards, which took place on April 14th, 1969. Uh, it was uh, quite a year. Let's see, what have we discussed? We've discussed Best Picture winner Oliver, a movie I despise to this day and will fight you if you say otherwise. I think it was lousy, the music is lousy, everything about it is lousy, but we have discussed two very good films. Also, Lion in Winter uh, with uh, Amy's, uh, Amy's uh, boyfriend, Peter, o uh, Peter O'Toole. And, of course, 2001 A Space Odyssey on our very first Should Have Been a Contender episode with special guest Brian, who you heard previously on The Shining as well. And we could make an entire podcast about 1968. What else came out that year? I think it was, uh, let's see, Producers came out. Funny Girl. Funny Girl. Planet of the Apes. Yeah, just it's wealth of like some of, some of the great films in, in history. Really, like of all time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. We look forward to talking about it in the future, as I am sure we will. Rosemary's Baby was actually a big winner, in, certainly in one regards, at the Academy Awards. It picked up Best Supporting Actress for Ruth Gordon, who uh, played Minnie Castavet, mm -hmm. just the neighbor that you just, you just don't want to have. Uh, and this actually did mark in the first time in uh, the 40 years of Academy history where a genre film, and this is a genre film, picked up a, picked up an award, uh, one of the one of the one of the big five awards, I should say. They they cleaned up a lot of the tech awards in the past, but this is a big five award, very something else, something great. And honestly, Ruth Gordon is pretty awesome. I gotta she say, really oh, she's so she just because you wouldn't want her. In Get rid of all the satanic stuff. You still wouldn't want her as a neighbor. No, and she's, but she's, she's one of those neighbors. You're like, oh, I'm gonna have to deal with you on a daily basis because, like, oh, 
like I, I'm, I'm hoping they don't listen to this but my all my retired neighbors i'm like fuck, fuck, i don't want to like why are you just always outside why can't you just be doing things oh my god she's the one that you avoid yeah you avoid leaving your apartment for fear that you're gonna see her or you send someone out soon to like make sure she's not around before yeah. you leave and maybe maybe that's not a thing that uh the folks who live in detached houses with yards and their neighbors are miles away have to deal with but here in new york god dealing with neighbors is oh it's just the worst I uh, I don't know many of their names because nobody wants them. We don't. We're not. We're not. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. And you know why? This movie is why because you're probably you know Satan worshippers. Sorry, that's it. Uh, but good job, Ruth Gordon, uh, for your turn in, in this in this one as well. And uh, the film was also nominated for best adapted screenplay, but lost. Unsurprisingly, to the Lion in Winter because which is really hard to argue. Yeah, you're like it's you want to fight it. Be like, just not win. It lost to the Lion in Winter. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I get that because I mean, in, in terms of adaptation, like they're both like you, you, I haven't read not not read the book, but these are both solid, they're solid amazing. adaptations. Both amazing, but the Lion in Winter, where every line is like, damn. Yeah one <laughs> every line line in winter is very well written rosemary's baby is very well plotted and directed i would uh i, w- I would take the direction polanski's direction on on this one over can't even remember who did lion in winter coming to me regardless it's just a very uh very uh anthony harvey. Hmm? anthony harvey anthony harvey yes one of those um yeah i mean what else do you so this should have been a contender. So we know we probably we're here arguing, basically saying that it should have been nominated for Best Picture. What else should it have been nominated for that year? Okay. Settle in everyone. <laughs> it's gonna be a long one. Obviously, Best Picture. Take out Oliver or Rachel Rachel, which for some reason was nominated for like a gajillion awards. I've never heard of this movie. Ever. I've never heard of this movie. Definitely Oliver should it's not it's not Oliver it's Oliver yes it Sorry. should have been funny girl the lion in winter Romeo and Juliet which is also on the Amy and Thomas and top 100 by Zeffirelli which is just I won't even go there it's so amazing and this uh best director get rid of Carol Reed for Oliver and possibly Gilo Pontecorvo for the Battle of Algiers. No, no, no. We're, we're, no, we're, no, we're, we're keeping the Battle of Algiers. Okay, in there. keep that. It's, that's yeah. a very good movie. It's like, if you haven't seen uh, that work, it's Pontecorvo does amazing, amazing okay. stuff with that so film. We'll keep, we'll keep Battle of Algiers. We'll get rid of Oliver for Best Director. 100% Roman Polanski should have been nominated. Uh, best Actor category, Cassavetes did a good job, but. I wouldn't give it. I don't consider him a lead actor in the movie. I put both him and uh, Blackmer in the supporting actor categories, yeah. but definitely Cassavetes. This is, this is so well, we'll get we'll get into what Cassavetes. Because is I wouldn't be. put him up against Alan Arkin, Ron Moody, who even though Oliver is a lame movie, Ron Moody was very good in that movie. I'd give him a nomination. Obviously, I wish Peter O'Toole had won that year, but we're just moving. I'm going to gloss over it. I made a promise to myself I would not get into it. Uh, she should have been nominated for Best Actress. 
that's a tough year for actresses, though. Yeah, this was the this is one of the first ties. Catherine Hepburn and, Bar- and Barbara and Barbara Streisand, right? Yeah. So you've got Catherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter, who's flawless, brilliant, amazing. Everything she does in this movie is great. And Barbara Streisand, who that's the most iconic role, one of the most iconic roles, I think, in film history. So I'm not really going to be like, Streisand sucks, take it away from her, but rough. Right. But you could, but you could say, how about, how about we do this? How about we say, Streisand, uh, yeah, Streisand's great. Catherine Hepburn won the year before, so why don't we switch for in? For a movie she didn't deserve. For a movie she didn't deserve. Right. Exactly. Guess who's coming to dinner, was it? Away from Hepburn, I would have given it to Peter O'Toole for best actor, given it to Streisand, and at least at least a nomination for Mia Farrow. For Mia Farrow. It's what not a win, but it's really hard to be like Barbara Streisand didn't deserve it for Funny Girl. Cause right. Really, like... Nobody's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's, not, it's not as good a movie, but come on, like, but she's great in it, but I mean, it, I mean, Babs makes everything better. If you haven't seen that movie, you still have seen, you know what I mean? Like, that's what, like I said, it's one of the performances ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, best supporting actor, I agree, John Cassavetes, screenplay, I would have given it best original score as well, which it wasn't even nominated for, but that. Creepy lullaby is just a creepy lullaby. That Mia Farrow sang herself. Uh, great. And the music, the music, Gunderitz. Oh, so super, it's super unsettling. Super. Like, oh, please stop it. And uh, additionally, you you'd have to give it a host of technical nominations, art direction, cinematography. Is edited. And there are scenes where they're is edited like a fucking champ in this, in this movie. Some, especially those dream sequences. Oh, 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 they're done so. They're done so well. I mean, they were described in the book. I mean, it really was like I love adaptations of a book where it's almost like you can imagine the person sitting there with the book while typing. The yeah, screenplay. just like one handing it. Can, can you one hand on an old typewriter? I don't. I don't even know. But like I said, all of those it should have been nominated in every major category. It could make it, but uh, there is a obviously uh, certainly back then there was a genre bias in the academy, and uh, which would be slowly chipped away and ultimately broken years and years later. Uh, we do come to the big elephant in the room, and that is, of course, directed by Roman Polanski, uh, who, as you know, uh, uh, was sentenced for raping a thirteen-year-old girl back in the late uh, early seventies, and he fled country and is. Um, been staying in Europe ever since to avoid his prison sentence, which would have been over by now anyways, but which, whatever. side note, anyone at home who's interested in learning more about that case, there's a terrific HBO documentary called Roman Polanski Wanted and Desired. Yeah, oh yes, I've, I've, I've heard good things about that. It's uh, They really go into it, and Obviously, it explains so much. You know what I mean? There's so, there were so many things that happened with that case that was like, yes, he did have sex with a 13-year-old girl. Yes, it was a 13-year-old girl that he had given drugs to. That's not negotiable. But the judge had all this weird stuff going on. The, I mean, there was the judge did all kinds of shady things and switched sentences around and all kinds of stuff. So it's fascinating it's not a defense of Polanski but there were other factors with that which is why he did it kind of explains why he fled yeah it does it's a sounds like a very good look a very very good look at a very a 
dude who like yes he's uh he's a rapist and a, and a criminal dude has had a very fucked up hard time in his life and that does, that absolutely does not excuse his behavior yeah. or his his criminal acts and we are not doing that but no, uh, survived the holocaust pregnant wife was murdered by the manson family jesus fucking christ and um he should yeah yeah and he uh would, and he has made a lot of great movies he made chinatown he would later win the academy award did not accept it for directing the pianist which was a very good movie and we do we will might talk about that later and it is very uh we will i know it is a fine line especially in these days to discuss uh discuss the works and the man this one this one i want to i want to say well it was done before he 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 was this so it's, it's fine but really is it ever fine i'm not sure uh, I don't. I do not think I am the. I'm the one to judge on this. I. I try I'm not in a good position. I think. But I. But the thing is, I try to separate it because, for example, as we are recording this, Bill Cosby was just sentenced to prison for rape, and it's heartbreaking because I grew up on the Cosby Show, and when I watched the Cosby Show, I have to admit it was a very excellent show it yeah. was well written well acted all of those things were great and i can't say that knowing this about him makes the show any less one of the best shows that was ever on television and Eli kazan knowing that he names names for the congressional hearings knowing that um what's his name jerome robbins one of the greatest broadway directors and choreographers also ruined people's careers by naming names and who act you know what i'm saying so it's like it's uh idols idols are tricky things we should burn them all uh i mean Polan, you know i don't i don't not think i will mourn polanski when he passes away no um yeah i just trying to town and be like wow what a great movie yeah Chinatown's a great movie rosemary's baby great movie his Macbeth, weird as it is great movie great movie but uh yeah we'll we will talk about you know we'll Polanski will certainly come up as we discuss later films. Like I said, I can't recommend it enough. I've watched it more than once. It is available on HBO, the on-demands and stuff, just for any of you at home. Or if my, my co-host is interested, it's really, there's so much more to the case than, than we're aware of. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just that. But, but yeah, he did do it. I mean, there's yeah, he, he you know, did do it, and he deserves to. And he never denied it. I mean, he never said I didn't rape her. I think he said it was consensual, but he never denied like having sex with her. He's like, yeah, I gave her a quaalude and we had sex. What's wrong with that? And so you're like, Wow. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, well, what? get a light. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, always a tricky subject discussing this. We will move on to the film itself after this short break. You could hear them singing through the wall. Guy, my, my husband, Guy, said it was Dr. Shand, one of these people playing a recorder. Now, how did he know it was Dr. Shand unless he was there with them? Um, they're very clever people. They planned everything right from the beginning. They probably made some sort of deal with Guy. They gave him success, and he promised them our baby to use in their rituals. I know this sounds crazy, but I've, I've got books here. Look. There was another actor like him, 
Donald Baumgart, and they put a spell on him. They cast a spell on him and made him blind so the guy could get his part. Look, here. I had this friend, Edward Hutchins. Maybe you heard of him, a writer. He wrote stories for boys. Anyway, he was my good friend since I first came to New York. May I keep this? Yes, please. And look, anyway, once Mr. Hutchins came to visit me, came to visit me, it was the time I was having this pain, doctor. I was suffering so... You can't imagine how much I was suffering. And they wouldn't help me. Nobody would. They were giving me a drink with tannis root in it. Also, witch's stuff, tannis root. Hutch came and immediately saw something was wrong. He, he knew about witches, you see. Suddenly, Guy rushed in with his makeup still on, which he never did. They probably called him to come home and steal one of Hutch's belongings, which he did. Took his glove and they put a spell on him, too. Put him in a coma. Three months later, he died. Now, maybe all this is coincidence, but one thing is for sure. They have a coven and they want my baby. Certainly seems that way. <laughs> I was afraid you wouldn't believe me. I don't believe in witchcraft, but there are plenty of maniacs and crazy people in this city. For those of you who don't remember, the plot to Rosemary's Baby is woman gets pregnant, demonic mayhem ensues. Obviously a lightly missing out on a lot of key points there, but for the most part, it's terrifying. And there's, uh, you know, there's one character who I think doesn't get enough love, or perhaps maybe gets too no love, too much love. And we have discussed famous locales the Overlook, the Bates Motel, these past two weeks. I want to talk about the Bramford. The Bramford apartments, whatever the hell it is, it's never made clear. Shot uh, exterior locations at the famous Dakota up on 72nd Street on the west side of Central Park. Famously... John Lennon and Yoko Ono would live there. Judy Garland, a whole bunch of a whole bunch of other people, would would live there. Okay, so I do ha I do have some questions about this. It's a great character, very atmospheric, it's wonderful. They are going to see the locations of the Bramford. Yes, they're they're they're, they're getting it. At one point, they make a quip. John Cassavetes, Guy Woodhouse, and his wife Rosemary Woodhouse. Guy makes a quip about. How you know she's trying to she's trying to drive the rental price down, and I go okay, so they're renting. Leads me to another question: How much is the rent here? This is New York City in the '60s. Like we haven't we haven't redlined anything. Things are things are really fucking nice here in the '60s. Uh, guy is a sometimes commercial actor who's had two parts in a play. How is he affording this? That's and if yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, okay, so it's a rental. So it's a rental. All right, it's a rental. All right, all right. So like, it's a rental. All right, I get, I, I get that. Then there's this big montage sequence of uh, Rosemary, like redoing the whole place, ordering new furniture, painting the walls, wallpaper, dude, new everything. And I go, are you? Like everyone knows, you don't put this much fucking work into a rental. Like, what are you doing? So, if it's not a rental, 
Same question. How much fucking money does Guy Woodhouse have to afford this place plus all of the upkeep? I know it's not actually the Dakota. The Dakota has eight bedroom apartments that go for $12 million. I just and looked this it's up. Like, it's a, a co-op. And it's a co-op. It's so a co-op. Let you have to be allowed to live there, and Billy Joel is on the list of people that we're not allowed to. Just a little side note: I l I did some research. Really, is Billy, it, Billy Billy got hero to New Yorkers could not be allowed, and yet Mr. motherfucking Jackson. Guy Woodhouse <laughs> and his wife, who he just does some shitty you know, Yamaha commercial or something. I, Luther and everybody loves an albatross. Ugh. I just love how she tells everybody that. And lots of television and stage plays. And well, television is where the money is. Apparently, that's where the fucking money is. Jesus that's Christ. It's, and, like, and, and Rosemary doesn't work. You're like, I knew the housing market has changed so much. It's, uh, it's, it's mind-blowing. However, okay, outside of all of that, outside of all of that, because I, I, you know, I live in New York, and I always look at other places and go, I don't understand people and affording things i don't know why i don't know how we even afford to live here ever <laughs> the it's such a great location because there are all of these little things there's something about an old house just so creepy i mean you for, for starters you like when you first walk in it's dark it's eerie they have the, they, the the first night they where they like they just like randomly have sex it's just like it's like this is the creepiest place ever and they're gonna they're, they're gonna touch it up but you're right next to the neighbors who have a it's a very thin wall because it used to be one giant place which side yeah, note oh my child. god really and uh it, it just has this it has this air of well of course devil worshippers live here like like this is not, this is not surprising really when you think about it uh i what polanski and his, his dp do is they they, they really create this it's a big apartment like square footage wise and yet it feels so claustrophobic you can feel the walls just trapping everyone in there nobody ever it doesn't it never once feels like a home to me watching this it's it's uh, it is I mean, it's meant it's meant to be a prison and for that and for polanski to really Present that as he does. I think. I think. I. I. I it's. It's masterful directing. It's. It's masterful directing. And just like using using the space to create the mood and the, not only that, but the psychological uh, character of uh, of of Rosemary. And there's Rosemary. there's so much subtlety that I think you miss the first time you're watching it because he gives you clues that you don't know you're looking for at all. Oh, so what? Just, okay, it, what? Like, like, like what? Well, you. When you hear the chanting, it's very subtle. You hear it, but it's so quiet, and they don't draw attention to it. They're not like, wow, what's that chanting? It's They would just make such an offhand comment about it. The other thing is is at the beginning when they show the closet with the dresser and how the woman had moved the dresser from one place to another, um, that there was a note that says, I can no longer be a part of, and you only see part of the note. Yeah. That really, you, you by the end of the movie, you forget about it. And until you watch the whole thing and then rewatch it, then you're like, oh, okay. That was yeah. a little clue, but you forget about it by the time the end of the movie comes around. 
and the and, and like put the put the dressers there. I think I like to yeah. think basically to just like Minnie, you can't just come the fuck over whenever you want. Please use the front door like a normal yes. person. I know we're Satan buddies, but but come a little privacy. Guys. But according to that letter, she might have been rethinking that. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I think she was rethinking but I'm saying, that. There's a lot of so good yeah it, it is and um what one thing i like about it is that the entire like good 80 percent of this movie does take place within rosemary's apartment you know she goes out she goes out every now and then but for the most part you are in the Bramford. we never see the cast of that's place i believe it's just we are focused on we have they have dinner there oh, they, oh they have dinner? okay all right they but for dinner and she's commenting how they took all the pictures off the wall oh that's right they, you're right you're she, right she can see the outlines on the wall of where their pictures were and she's like it's strange they took all the pictures off the wall and then she goes in and you can see roman and guy at a distance like you see their chairs kind of turn toward each other in right. front of the fireplace and, and then you see it again at the end yeah and you think that's where they're making the deal that's, that's what I think do I think that's do I think that I mean probably, it's oh, probably but what no but no but the worst oh he's you know he's so bad we're gonna get it but what what I like about that is that this is a it's a film so focused on Rosemary that the entire plot is happening around her and that's by design but we don't ever get a sense of like if if you walked in not knowing this was about a devil baby you really wouldn't have much of an idea. You'd be as lost as Rosemary is because you're like, all right, there's weird chanting and like so some, so there's, there's, there's eerie stuff, but you, it, Polanski never cuts away to show you, okay, and here's Guy and, uh, here's Guy and Roman discussing selling the, you know, we're going to, you know, give your baby up to Satan and, uh, and, and yeah. all that. There's it, no dramatic irony. We're not, a, we, we're not in on anything. No, no, we aren't. We're, we're, all you know is like, what's going on? And it takes, and he, the pacing, and you said that, is so perfect because it definitely does not, so many movies nowadays would have thrown everything to you up front. There would have been really crazy, wacky stuff from the beginning of the movie. Because hmm. the beginning of the movie feels a little slow, especially once you know what's going to happen. But one of the things that I was struck by this time when I watched it is, such a buildup of like they're just this cute couple and she's so adorable and when they're looking at the apartment every now and then like you see her giggling and like putting her hand over her mouth and giggling which is such an innocent kind of a move and he's kind of teasing her a little bit and they're you know it's and it's just you're like how beautiful and she's this little wafy blonde and he's this strong handsome guess what he's a very handsome man you know what i mean and so they're just this Oh, aren't they? Aren't they precious? Yeah, they are, and and that's a it's a good starting point for where the journey that she'll be taken on. Hmm? Neighbors stay the same way. It's like she does seem like the old lady that we all know. That we're all like, oh hi, so and so. Oh, how are you? Yeah, that's great. Well, I gotta run. Oh, oh hey, look at my wrist. I gotta go. And she stays that way the whole thing. She never changes into all of a sudden seeming. She never seems demonic. She just seems like this annoying old lady. And Laura Louise. Laura Louise, God. Imagine waking up next to her. Oh, like when Mia Farrow wakes up after she's had her baby and she wakes up and Laura Louise is like sitting on her bed. Yeah, sitting there like knitting. You're like, "Mm, stop it. Stop it. That's. That's. 
it's it's terrifying, but it's also a great commentary on. Uh, and certainly, Polanski would know something about this on the banality of evil. Like these aren't they aren't dressed in robes all the time. They aren't uh, you know crazy beards or anything. They look just like any other upper class twits from New York's New York City, and I, that that's a very deliberate. Uh, choice on the on Levin's part the writer and and Polanski to present them to present evil in such a it's almost a friendly way uh I mean like yeah it's annoying but like my neighbors aren't Satanists I'm pretty sure and you feel and you almost and how even she feels bad you know when she's like oh by the way you know they were so nice they said they invited us over we only have to go once and guys like god Rosemary and you realize quickly on that he's just a dick. Oh yeah, he's he's he's, he's such a dick. But um, I want to talk about this later. But uh, I mean, certainly uh, these are enlightened times as they are. But what did you make of and uh, of the Castavets having, uh, shall we say, Jewish Not man, not mannerisms, but like identifiers, identifiers. How do you, how do you think that plays in 1968? Which you know we're starting the civil rights movement. We're you know, the conversation we're still having now. How do what? How do you think that plays with the mostly Protestant Catholic audience that was going to see this movie? I think. I mean, it fits into that stereotype of like the annoying Jewish people who live next door. Other than that, it just seemed very, it seemed more New York to me than culturally Jewish. You know what I'm saying? Right. It seems like I can imagine like a little Italian lady being, or a little Polish lady. You know what I mean? Just, yeah. but there's, a, she's, got yeah. the cur- she's got the scarf in her head, with the curls <laughs> on and stuff like that. I didn't, I didn't personally see it being specifically Jewish. It's just like, oh, she's just this eccentric little old lady. I get that. I mean, just being around uh, eccentric little old lady, uh, Jewish Jewish ladies uh, a lot here in Brooklyn. It's just a lot of them. I I I, I did I did get the I don't I never actively said one way or the, one way or the other, but there is a sense that uh, Ira Levin, that's uh, he's a Jewish man writing 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 this very. Uh, Catholic story, as it were, but he would be very aware of the anti-Semitism that uh, had occurred in the long history of the Catholic Church, uh, specifically uh, with the act of blood libel, which the uh, Catholics believe the Jews would use uh, blood of babies or just other Catholics to, like, host bacchanalias or their 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 kabbalah-esque uh, kabbalah-esque services and that is actually influ- you can see that a little bit in the cuisine that is had because what does roman serve uh, as a drink is this blood red concoction you see rosemary eating this raw this quote-unquote like very raw meat at one point and there's there are these little little hints that if that uh, that make the movie great on rewatch you can go in and like take more of it out of it. It's like it's a commentary on the social order and uh, Catholicism and anti-Semitism and there's like and really obviously it's on religion as well. But there are these little little things that kind of add a second or third layer to the story being told there as well. 
But we can move on to something a little more fun. John Cassavetes, oh. uh, one of the great filmmakers of all time. If you've never seen uh, Killing of Chinese Bookie or A Woman Under the Influence, like General, it's amazing in that. And he even directed Faces, which came out this year, and that Ruth Gordon was up against Lily Carlin, I think, for Best Supporting Actress as well. Great actor, uh, be- you know, beautiful man. Uh, and Amy, we have, we, we've had a side conversation about the, the difficult men recently, your Don Drapers, your Tony Sopranos, your Walter Whites, and like how each of them ha- are terrible in their own way. And I don't want to, don't want to get into that, but I'm going to, I'm going to submit Guy Woodhouse as the cream of the crop of difficult, shitty, shitty husbands to you. Because let's face it, Walter White. He may have killed some people. He, none of these guys ever sold their wife to the devil for success in their acting career. And uh, he's, also, he's also just terrible. But even before that. But even, yes, even, even, even before, before, even before that, that guy is clearly the worst. When she said, oh, they invited us over to their house for dinner. And he's like, oh, man. And he starts, you know, whining like a little bitch. And then she's like, no, it's okay. We don't have to go. And again, she's very, she's so little. She's so tiny. It's okay. We don't have to go. And then he says, oh, are you going to cry about it now? Are you just going to pout about it? Fine. Then we can go. And I was like, you're dead to me. Dead. At that moment, I was like, you're the worst. That's an abusive husband move. But hey. Yeah, but hey, do you know what it really is a is a is abusive husband move? Hey, honey, sorry about scratching your back last night uh, while I was raping you. Uh, it was just fun in a sort of necrophilia way. Like, oh my fucking god! Oh, like and she's just looking at herself, and she's like, "We could have waited." And then, but before he even says that, he's like, "Wow, some wife you conked out on me." <laughs> Oh yeah, he's just. He points out that you did something wrong by even falling asleep. So like, what's a guy gonna do? Right. What? Am I, am I, I have to I have to rub one out myself? No. Oh god. Oh, the worst. Yeah, and we've and we've talked about in the past two previous episodes about the misogyny sort of inherent in uh, certainly The Shining and and in Psycho, like the horror in general. But it's just so very. It's overt and different here uh not not only with guy who's being terrible but also just even getting her to eat the chocolate mousse yeah it's like eat the chocolate mousse. there's an there's an undertaste there's not a fucking there's not an undertaste just eat the chocolate mousse you're like oh there's there's some shit in that chocolate mousse isn't there i'm glad i'm i'm you have to eat all of it though yeah yeah like like whenever somebody whenever anybody says yeah, whenever any adult says who's not a doctor and you're not in a hospital says you need to eat all of that, I'm like, there's something up. Like you did something. Are you this. gonna rape me later? <laughs> are you gonna sell? Are you gonna sell her? Are you gonna sell her to literally Satan and have Satan rape? Like what? Like what is going Does on here? Does improve your acting career? Really? Yeah, and that's that's it. That's the thing. That is why he doesn't sell for like great power. Or like to be president, it's like I just want to be a, like, I just want more success in acting. Like, oh my, that is. And you such already a get lame... to live in the Bramford. Like, right. You're obviously not doing that. Badly. Like, what is like, what is so hard about your life right now? Like, oh god, fucking. The comment about the it was it was kind of wild in a necrophilia kind of way. I thought, wow, 
yeah. top 10 things you don't want to hear your husband say to you actually. yeah but like i my what I, I if i ever said that my i like i would not i'd be like okay and now and like and then my wife left and i never see her again I'm like yeah that makes sense okay i'm realize now what i did it's terrible uh there is before that you have the entire um satanic ritual slash rape sequence which uh 50 years later still terrifying so 50 years before now i can only imagine how shocking that was that is some like psychologically like damaging shit and mia farrow has that line perfect but this is no dream this is really happening Oh, and she delivers it with like this wide-eyed, like, oh, like I, like I, like I don't know what, like that's her face. Literally, is the feeling of waking up in the nightmare, like it's, just on film. It's amazing. That should have gone on Academy Award. That that's it. That line, bam, you're nominated. Yeah. I mean, being literally in the entire movie should have gotten her the Academy Polanski, Award nomination. Polanski not making the whole thing a dream it wasn't like it cut it was a dream and then she woke up and it was over there were the, the interweavings of you could hear the people and it got into her dream and then it would sort of show them like taking her clothes off and then in the dream how they were doing it too and just how that was woven together and edited is so bone chilling but her saying this is no dream this is really happening is just right in the it's like having ice water dumped on you, like the ice bucket challenge. Except ALS is not cured, or whatever, it's whatever it's for. It for a good cause. It yeah, just, I, I don't. I mean, I'm finding hard to even verbalize this, and I'm a verbal person, but it's, just. And, and it's also where the it's also where the editing knob should have come in. Uh, that that and both that and the um, the flashback sequences are very well cut together in a ambiguous chilling and eerie sort of way because because you're allowed to have a little art house fun there and just yeah. kind of have some images flash up there and, and what does it mean but it does come together very well and the, the sound and just the the image of like you don't you don't like see all of all of the devil you just see like a snapshot of his face here and there and some claws and you go oh that's that's terrifying and, and how accommodating she's being she's like oh i don't want to be a bother and you know what i mean like oh yes and yeah she's yeah she is she is deferential the entire way through the film she starts out like she's this timid mouth she basically ends you know this timid mouth because she's being gaslit the entire time by her husband by the cast of it with all the other people around her bed and it's like there's zero sense of I can't believe I'd be doing this or I feel a little bad. Nothing. He's totally cool with it. Yeah, it's oh. and that is what makes this like the most frightening movie ever. Because guy doesn't look like a monster. No, no. Guy is um, so normal. Yeah, devil can quote scripture and and all and all of that. It's a the fiendishly subversive film with with a. With regards to what evil looks like, because evil ain't gonna look like uh, I mean, evil ain't gonna look like an uh, shall we say an an immigrant. Evil's gonna look like Donald Trump. Sorry, folks down in South Carolina, I apologize for that. But it's scary, and that's it is. 
that's what seduces you. That's what's going to get you. If the person looks like a big, scary, evil monster, you're going to be like, oh, you're a big, scary, evil monster, yeah. and I'm not going to go with you. But, yeah, but if a person looks like John Cassavetes, they're like, And right. when you're pregnant, uh, your doctor. Yeah, Dr. Saperstein, the best, uh, the best guy on the East Coast. Yeah. Oh. And then oh. there's my, we'll get to my, what was almost my scariest moment. There's a couple movies moments in there that are terrifying but no i want no i want to hear them i what i want i want to hear what what makes this scary to you okay at the end when she's with dr hill and she's like pouring out her heart and this is what's going on she's like i know it sounds crazy but it's true and he's like okay we'll get you into the hospital you'll be okay and you've seen this woman put through the emotional ringer and she falls asleep and you're like and she says to her baby she's like Andy or Jenny or whatever they were going to call the baby. Yeah. Like everything's going to be okay now. Everything's going to be okay now. She falls asleep and then she wakes up and Guy and Dr. Saperstein okay. are in the room. And Dr. Hill has sold her. I sold her. And I, I'm sad. is terrifying. Oh, it's, it's so terrifying. It's, it's terrifying, but I do, I do understand. I like would Dr. Hill is not, he's not seen what we have seen. So I like, I get like, yeah, he's going to think that she's just this unhinged like she has pregnancy emotions the hormones are raging and i and i get that and that's that's part of the point of the movie and like that's the most heartbreaking thing because she has finally broken free herself she's like she has shown some gusto some agency she's like yes i'm gonna i'm gonna get out of here i just but I like i need to look after this baby and go to this doctor he's gonna help and me after she realizes and then she's betrayed after she realizes dr saperstein's in it when she's at the office and they smell the tannis root or whatever. Mm. And she's like, and she's been sitting there waiting for him. Yeah. And the secretary's like, ha- they're having this inane conversation. She's like, oh, Dr. Saperstein used to have that scent all the time. And she's like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. And there's no dramatic music or bum 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 or anything like that. It's just, oh yeah, he used to have that all the time. And just that you know, and you, it, I turned to ice. And then she goes to Dr. Hill, and Dr. Hill's like, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And then you're like, why can't this woman get a break? Yeah. And then she goes back to her apartment, and you see her, and you see the people scampering across the hallway. Oh, yeah, that's terrifying. Oh, my gosh. Because, again, you think she's safe. She closes all the doors. Great. And she's in the doorway. And, again, the way that it's – I'm – doing it with my hands so people at home you can't see what i'm doing but you see her she's in the room and then through the doorway you see these people just literally they scamper yeah they're like like they're like like high they high to it they high to it and you're like (gasps) and And then she says the other scary line which is somebody please help me oh i'm shivering i'm like shuddering it's so scary and what i what i like about the the scampering bit was that they they set that up in Act One, with the with the dresser in front of the closet, yep. and then because you have a very good sense of location of where she is in relation to everything else, and that even she realizes afterwards that there is a secret door in that closet, and that is how they got in because they locked that door and that door ain't budging, uh, and so it's just this little. Polanski isn't going to he's not going to hold your hand and like you're you're going to see them like come out of the closet all sneaky like because he wants to keep the the pharaoh is in almost every frame of this movie so like she's our point of view character and so she doesn't so she doesn't quite realize that yet so then we don't realize that yet we're going why are they in here 
this doesn't make any sense. And you go, oh. And why because they're trying to be quiet because, you know, you know she's like, got a knife but, but, or something. Like the way that they do it, they don't walk. They don't look like they're slowly trying to ski by. It's that scampering that they do that's frightening. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not yeah. just sitting there. They're not slowly, slowly moving and, like, looking around. They're like, do, 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 do. Yeah. You expect like, Benny Hill music to start. Yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's just, oh, it's so yeah. scary. You know who I feel bad for? I feel bad for Terry. Because yes. I uh, watching this watching this now again, I realize, oh, was like was Terry, was she going to be the one who was originally going to hold? She was it's like was was that confirmed yeah, in the book? Why she killed herself. Oh, so she oh she realized what was happening. Because I think they found a note or they found something. They did. And and that's. Why? Because I remember you, you hear, and this is another one of those things, you hear them talking in the background. Right. You're watching Rosemary and whatever, but you can hear Roman and Minnie. Uh, you hear her say, so, so like, I, she makes a comment, and you have to watch the movie again to catch this, because I didn't catch it the first time either, like the first couple times. But you hear her say, like, I told you you shouldn't have told her the plan. Oh, I completely missed it's that. It's a line that you hear, but it's not them having the conversation. It's one of those off-camera, you right. hear it in the distance, and there's a quick comment of, like, I told you you shouldn't have told her. Yeah, they're built. Okay. Oh, okay, so that that's why I love this. There's the, the plot happens around, and it builds up so slowly. It builds up so slowly that... I so many of those things, because yeah, they're so not... You're not told because it's a detail that you're not. He doesn't tell you it's important to know this. He doesn't put the camera on them saying, "Now we have to find somebody else." Blah blah blah. It's right. very. Watch it again. Yeah, it's 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 something that's it's, meant to. It's one of the things that you hear and you hear like, "I told you you shouldn't have told her." Come on. Yeah, it's one of those things that gets in your brain and you don't realize it, which is exactly what the movie is about. It's about getting in your brain. Without you realize, like it's about controlling you without you realizing you're being controlled. Yeah. That this doctor is in on it. It's, 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 I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that before. So that's that's brilliant. But uh, on that scene, just on a, on a lighter note, I do have to say, Minnie and Roman's introduction. We've heard so much about them. They walk down the street. I like. I want to wear that pink suit. Like I could not wear pink, but. That is such a nice suit that Roman is wearing. Just God bless you, sir. You are, you are wonderful. They are, they are, they are a colorful, uh, colorful bunch of characters. Um, those, those, those castavets, and they are well traveled too. Yes, they have been to Anchorage. That's fun. Um, but also, there is that sense that yes, there's this plot happening, but. Is it really happening? There's this, until the end, there's this very ambiguous feeling. You go, okay, yeah, weird stuff is happening. Yes, when Hutch came over, suddenly Guy gets off of work early and comes over to just make sure of things. Like, that's, that's weird. But is it, is it satanic? Is it is it evil, or is it just like a, this? Like, is this just a movie of a bunch of coincidences that's being filtered through the lens of uh, a woman who is pregnant, who is going through a, just a hell of a time because, like, there's literally a life form growing inside of her and stealing her bones. Um, and it's so, and you can like, 
if you watch this film and like you're watching on a 30, in 35 millimeter and suddenly the you know it burns through and you don't get to see the last five minutes when Roman explains everything, I think you'd still have this great sensory experience of this fear and terror. And it's basically saying this is what it's like to be a woman who is pregnant when equality is not a thing we have. Like you are trapped. You are told by everyone else how to think, how to feel, what to say, what to do, what to eat. And it's like, I like. And you feel, and depending on the woman, you feel like I was ill, 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 both my pregnancies. And not just the first trimester, the entire time. We went to Washington, D.C. the weekend before Elena was born because she was a month early. We didn't know she was coming. I, my entire family went sightseeing and I was at the hotel because I couldn't get out of bed because I was still throwing up. Oh, we before she was born. It was rough, but it is, and it's different now. There's more women doctors. I, I, I female doctors, so it's a lot different than having an old, old man. Yeah, an old crusty white guy who, who, who knows who's born and who's born literally in the 19th century, because that could still be a thing at this point. But it's funny that uh, a movie that is, uh, I, I will say, subtly pro. Uh, pro-feminism, pro-choice, pro-women's lib is directed by Roman Polanski, one of, I think, three men to have been actually kicked out of the Academy. Uh, Yeah, alongside Harvey Weinstein and someone else for, I think, a completely unrelated man. Yeah, there's there's a third one. Uh, It's just, it's, the film is such a, like, at this time, 1968 America, the year the United States changed. Civil rights was passed. The Civil Rights Act was, was passed. You had uh, you know, all these you know, protests and assassinations. Like the world is changing. And this movie comes in, and it's such a damning indictment of the status quo at the time. And and the best part about it is that you can watch it, and you can just see ah, that was a that was a fine horror movie. But if you look closer, and I oh. beg you, please look closer. This is a movie. That says, yo, women need equality. Like, wouldn't it be great if Rosemary could have worked the entire time she was doing this? She had something else to do besides deal with fucking mini- totally supportive and, like, screw this doctor. Go to another doctor. Yeah. It's ones that really listen to her. And also, and also these, the actual subtle non-satanic digs at religion. Listen to what uh, Roman's talking about with Catholicism, about the money and... All showbiz. And as a person who's baptized in the Catholic Church, at least, a lot of it's like, there are some things wrong with the Catholic Church. Like, he's not entirely wrong. And look at what we're learning today about the Catholic Church. Still still going on. Yep, still there. Yep. Oh yeah, it's uh, just it's still today. I realize we've come a long way uh, towards towards equality. We still much right now. Uh, we're recording this the day before uh, the uh, Kavanaugh hearings on uh, with uh, Dr. Blasey Ford. So no idea how that turned out. Please don't. No spoilers to us, folks. I have a feeling I know which way it's gonna go. Yeah, and it's. Depressing as hell, but but like just like Polanski, Polanski told us like this is 
this is saying this is the woman's lot in life to be a vessel for maybe something she doesn't want for literally the end of the world or I think the Antichrist or whatever uh, the son of the son of demon is not the son of the devil. Uh, which by which by the way, I've, I, I subscribe to the Luciferian model of, of of the devil. I think he's fallen angel and he co- moves to LA and solves mysteries. I think that's a far better use of the of the of of Satan's time than in the ending. Yeah, and then and then and then we come to the ending. We come to the ending. Ending. Yeah, we, we come to the ending. Everyone's gathered. We're uh, it's basically very typical Asian tourist guy. I was oh, like, yeah. oh. It's like, oh, Asian tourist guy, not you too. Oh, With the man. camera and everything. I was like, really? Really, Roman Polanski, we're going to do this? Oh, he did. He, he did indeed. But what I, what I like about the ending is that it's very, um, it's like watching Murder on the Orient Express. And they're like, okay, we need to get everybody together because somebody's got to explain what the fuck we just saw. Because we have all of these pieces and I don't quite know how they fit to together and you have roman just going off on the on the church and how this is this now how like wasn't it oh when he celebrated the new year as it's year one you're like that's no i'm pretty sure it's like 68 right that's what's what's going on like oh it's because you're because the devil baby has been born and uh so he explains explains the whole thing he goes he gets a little he gets into overacting territory i think just because the film of up to this point has been so subtle and nuanced in its in its you information. Oh, it's not a movie where you don't need it. It's a movie where you need to be like just for just click everything together for me because you've got all these things. Yeah. Cuz you either when when she thinks, "Oh, they're going to kill my, they're going to steal my baby, they're going to kill it." And you're like, "Oh, it's worse than that." Yeah. It it, it it is yeah it's it's worse than that but unlike say a last week's film the ending of psycho which when they explain everything like that's not you're explaining character at that point right roman here in rosemary's baby is explaining the plot of the movie and it does and like having a baby be killed and eaten for their satanic rituals is one thing but now your baby is the son of literally the son of satan why is it never the daughter of satan does, does anyone ever want to give birth to the daughter of satan like wouldn't that just be better you know, and more appropriate if you think about it just it's a <gasps> it's a patriarchal society yeah but the, but but you know but you know that's what that's why the daughter of satan would be so good you know you just the women are just soft and sweet you know you're married i'm sure your wife is just Gentle flowers every minute of the day. I'm gentle flowers. I don't know what you're talking about. Sweet and never. We're gonna, I- gonna, we're gonna move on. We're gonna move <laughs> on there. Just gonna just pass no, that one no, over. So, uh, I guess basically the point is the film is still wonderful, still very creepy. A great way to end the end this three run. Reaction to the baby. I'm sorry to cut you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The reaction to the baby. Is another giver a nomination just for the reaction? Yeah, because all right, it does. Um, that does? wide-eyed. Yeah, the wide-eyed. She's, she's is more than even just. It's like she opens her eyes wide, and then they get wider. Yeah. The hand. I mean, the whole thing is like, Mwah. I don't know what he did to get that response from her. I don't know what he put in for her. Yeah, there had to have been something because that reaction was like one of the greatest reactions. On film, I'm going there. 
on film. Greatest reaction on film. I mean, it's uh, something happened to his hands and feet and his eyes. His eyes are his eyes are red there. What does it say about a mother's love? Her her reaction, like it's like even like yes, my baby will bring about the end of the world, but it's still my baby, right? I will defend it. Mother's love, yeah, that's there's how it is. Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks in a in, in a remake that. that Rosemary would actually kill the baby herself, like at the end, she'd like have a knife stashed up, and like some like some terrible schlocky remake of this. But I'm but, glad, yeah, I'm glad it was the way that it is. Yeah, because it, it it tells us a lot about Rosemary. Okay. That she's she's inherently good. Yeah. And she's gonna be a mother to this devil child. Yes, even if the yeah, even if. So many more mothers suffer because of it. Like, this is my baby. I will, I will, like, this is the one baby that nobody should protect, but I'm going to protect it because it is mine. That is a, a very powerful statement about motherhood. As, as messed up as, like, you can weigh the greater good being like, we should. So fast. Like, please. That's not the point we're trying to make. The point we're trying to make is that a mother will defend her child, even if that child grows up to inherit a throat of blood. If it's a teenager, then, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you ever see the made-for-TV movie, uh, Whatever Happened to Rosemary's Baby, with Ruth Gordon reprising her role, but nobody else coming back in about, uh, I think it follows the older, uh, I forget what the, the older, the, the child as he grows up and I think later becomes I had some actor. I had absolutely no desire to see it, and I still am not going to watch it. Yeah, but this is I, a work of art on its own. It is, but but like like a lot of great like a lot of great films, like Five Easy Pieces from from a couple weeks back. It's a movie I do wish there would be a legit like, good sequel that comes out because I think it'd be fascinating to like. So what does the Devil Child get up to? And maybe I could just watch the other Omen movies, but I want to see this particular. Branding of the devil's, the devil's I'm job. Curious, but I think in certain cases the wanting is good. Oh yeah, Gone it's great. Wind, I mean, Gone with the Wind is I literally read that book from cover to cover once a year, and I have for the past ten years. I've seen that movie. I mean, I know it. But when the so you would think that when the book Scarlet came out, I would be like, oh my gosh, I have to read it. No, I don't. The book ended. That's it. We don't know what happens, and I'm happy with that. And I feel like that with really a lot of things. I think the more I love something, the less I want to see a sequel. Yeah. That's, that's just that's how true. I am. The wanting, the wanting is very nice. The wanting yeah. is very nice because, because it can be anything, and because we'll, whatever the sequel, if they were to make one, would come out, would just be a disappointment. It's always wrong. Always. Yeah. Because so, the original cast won't be, won't be back in it. You know? and we yeah, need, and yeah. you need Mia Farrow and but you know, if you do need to, if you do need to see a sequel to Rosemary's Baby, you can follow my life. My mom's name is Rosemary, and <laughs> that makes me Rosemary's Baby. And you have been listening to the Oscarwatch podcast, and I'm going to say, uh, so I'm going to say thank you. I'm also going to ask you, Amy, should the film have been nominated? Yes, I assume. Should it have won Best yes. Picture? Yes. Yes, even over yes. Lion of Winter. It's a hard call, and. I love The Lion in Winter, but this movie, I think, is so much more universal, Is so has still holds its own. People still watch it and get frightened by it. I 
don't feel that the line in winter is as timeless as much as I personally, you know, watch it every year. But Rosemary's Baby is just iconic. Everybody should see it. Everybody can get something out of it. And I do. I think it's a, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. It surpasses genre. I love movies that do that. And tough call between Miss Farrow and Miss Streisand. But if I could have done a tie that year, that that's who it would have been. That's but definitely nominated for Best Picture, and I think it should have won. Definitely should have been nominated. I understand why it wasn't. Again, genre bias. Uh, I will say that, yes, I think in terms of movies that have survived in pop culture, Rosemary's Baby is it. I can say, like, oh, my child is acting like Rosemary's Baby. Or, you know, like, it's a, it's a thing you can you can use, and people get it. Even if you haven't seen Rosemary's Baby, you, you know, that's the one about the devil baby, right? And yes, but not really. So in terms of lasting impact, uh, it's the right choice to win Best Picture. And I think, like, Seriously, it's a very well-crafted, technically brilliant piece of filmmaking here that did not get enough love and attention no. at the Academy, which is a shame because, you know, they just saw, oh, it's the horror movie. It's like, no, but it's a very well-made horror movie. That's it's, why I don't even put it in that genre, in my, in my brain. You yeah. know what I mean? It's October and we need to do something, okay? We're yeah. doing Rosemary's Baby. God I damn know, it. it is. It's frightening, but it's so much more. Yeah, it's, and again, the, the best films do transcend genre. They, it, it takes the tropes and does something more with them. And I have a question for you. Okay. This movie over 2001 A Space Odyssey? Slowing it down! That's, I knew it. I knew I'd get you with that question. Ugh. My brain explodes all over. I mean, I'm a, I mean, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi guy at heart. Uh, horror is, uh, it's, uh, it doesn't always do do much for me. But uh, in terms of, I guess, what like Rosemary's Baby is much more watchable than 2001. Although both give you this weird, creepy sense of just like this. Nothing feels right here, and I love it. Uh, soft spot for 2001. I probably would Rosemary's Baby. I think. Would no, no, 2001. 2001 has it's been a major influencer in uh, pop culture and in uh, like actual NASA and science and things like that. So I think I think 2001 has actually had a bigger pop culture footprint. Both of those way better than Oliver. I love I love, just love any chance to rag on Oliver. I will I, I will take it. Such a bad movie. If you go, guys, if audiences go back and listening to our 2001 episode, that's what you said, and I said I couldn't pick it because I think I would have given it to Rosemary's Baby. Okay. So well, I, hey, at least, hey, at least you're consistent. At least we are consistent. I, I sometimes, I sometimes don't remember. Like, did I like this movie? Oh, I need, I should listen to this one again. Anyways, anyways, thank you for joining us on this uh, three-week journey into horror films that should definitely have been nominated. For best picture, uh, next week on the podcast we celebrate the Dia de los Muertos with last year's best animated feature winner Coco, and uh, looking forward to mixing it up a little bit, but not too much. It's a nice little segue from you know, Devil Babies, now we get Dead People, and then forward on forward onto that. Uh, we are still running our Christmas gift listener request. So please get those in. 
gotten a bunch. We're paring down the uh, the winners, the the good uh, the good articles, the good paragraphs, the arguments you have written us, and we're looking to reveal those week by week, all season long, this Christmas time. So please send in your notes and thoughts to OscarWatchPodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. We also love hearing from you about these current episodes. What do you think of Rosemary's Baby? Do tell us on email or on social media at OscarWatchPod. We will listen. Might not always respond. I'm sorry about that. But as always, we thank you for listening. Amy, where can folks find you? At AThomason11 on Twitter or on our Facebook page. Yay! And until next time, we'll see you on the red carpet. Thank you.